What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. You guys get all of my fantasy baseball content over there, my podcast, my articles, obviously my Twitter threads, everything over there at JoeOrico99. Bit of a busy show today. We're going to be looking at some weekend streamers. We're going to focus on one pitcher for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I think there's some really good guys out there. Less than 50% rostered can really help you win your weeks. We're also going to be looking back at yesterday, some of the top performers. Hint, hint, Shohei Otani, number one. Big surprise there. Obviously not really much of a surprise. It's Shohei. He's probably going to be the MVP. But Judge might have something to say about it. We'll talk maybe a little bit about that. We'll go through the waiver wire like we usually do here. Look at the most added and dropped players. And then, of course, we'll do my matchup of the evening. So, why don't we get started by talking a little bit about Shohei. He hit two home runs. The Angels yesterday did something really crazy. They hit seven solo home runs, and they lost the game eight to seven. It's like, those of you who are on Twitter, you've seen, I'm sure, all the things going around this season. You know, Shohei Otani hits for the cycle, Mike Trout, four home runs, Angels lose, you know, whatever, you know, things like that, those kind of memes this is like as extreme as it gets. This looks like something that you'd find just, you know, somebody was fooling around on Twitter or in a meme generator and Otani, two home runs, everybody home runs, they lose 8-7. It's just, you can't write, you can't make this shit up. It's honestly hilarious. Not so much hilarious, I'm sure, if you are an Angels fan, but Otani's still providing from a fantasy point of view, two home runs. He's up to, what is it now, for the season... 24 home runs for Shohei. He's still been elite despite being really the only fantasy-relevant piece on this team at the moment. Taylor Ward, I guess, kind of fantasy-relevant. He's bounced around a little bit. I've dropped him in a couple of 12s where I had him. There's a 10-teamer. Yeah, he's gone from the 10-teamer. He's gone from the 12s. He's on one 15-team roster that I have left still. It's been tough. It's been really tough recently. He did a home run yesterday, but just really to point out the fact, I mean, everybody pretty much hit a home run yesterday for the Angels. Joe Adele, Jared Walsh, uh, Mickey Moniak hit a home run as well. It's just not really on a consistent basis anybody there to help out Otani, especially without Mike Trout. Now, hopefully Joe Adele is going to get some more regular playing time now. He also went yard. I'm hoping that we can see what we were expecting to see out of Joe Adele a little bit. He'll get the playing time. If he can produce, then he will be on the field Hopefully somebody else there who can uh, fill in for Mike Trout a little bit. Not an easy person to fill in for, but let's keep it going here with Seth Brown. He had himself a very nice day. He reached base five times, a single, a home run, three walks. He also stole a base. And I've seen some people getting very interested in Seth Brown over the last maybe close to a month now. In that time frame, he's 22 for 74, six homers, 10 RBIs. Batting 297, and if you shorten that to the last two weeks, in 27 at-bats, he has five home runs, batting 370. I'm just not really sold on the lineup there, the big ballpark. Yeah, he's been pretty okay for the season, 16 homers, 46 RBIs. I just see him as a bit more of a deeper league guy. He's not giving you too many runs, not giving you much of a batting average. It's pretty much him, Ramon Laureano, who also hit a home run, and Sean Murphy there in that lineup. Doesn't exactly scare you. It doesn't, you know... It's not the greatest lineup. Let's just put it that way. I could, I could go on and on about the Athletics and the Reds and a couple other teams, but they're they're not they're not great. We'll just we'll just leave it there. He's twenty two percent rostered right now. He was eight percent rostered as of last week. 
I just don't know that you really need to go and make this move. If you're looking to add some first base slash outfielder depth, I think there are better options out there than Seth Brown. He does give you this nice little mix this season of home runs and steals. That in and of itself might be enough for some people, but I just think that there are better options out there. Jeffrey Springs was the top scoring pitcher of the night. Six inning victory, striking out six, four hits allowed. No earned runs against the Tigers. Pretty much what you would have hoped for here now. I know that he's not been quite as sharp as he was earlier in the season. His advanced numbers were ridiculous early in the season. He was leaving like 97% of batters on base. This is a team that you expect him to do well against. And these last couple of times out, he's had some very easy opponents. Now, he's had kind of a mixed bag a little bit. Uh, The Cleveland start three earned runs, not bad. Um, The Kansas City start four and a third, eight hits, one earned run, and two strikeouts. Bit of a weird line there, but overall... These last three outings, four earned runs. Not terrible. He's someone who I think is more of a streamer, but for the season, he's got a 2-5-0 ERA. People will probably be valuing him a bit higher than they should be. I, I see him as someone that you can move on from uh, in a trading league. I know we're approaching trade deadlines here in a lot of formats, but Jeffrey Springs currently sitting at 54% rostered. If you can use this kind of outing, you probably have to package him up with somebody else. I don't know if one for one, you're going to get so much value back there. But if you do mix him or package him up with somebody else, might be able to score yourself like a top 100-ish rest of season kind of player. Maybe even a little bit better. So I would see the market that you can get out there on Jeffrey Springs. I don't think it'll be crazy, but right now, some people might just look at that 250 ERA who need pitching for the stretch run and overpay for him a little bit. So I'd look into that one there. Justin Verlander, doing more Justin Verlander-like things. Six innings, two hits, one walk, five strikeouts. He got the victory. 15 victories for Justin Verlander. 20 victories seems to be pretty likely at this point. 173 ERA, a .85 whip. I hate to say it, but uh, he's going to be the Cy Young winner here. I mean, Shane McClanahan, it's, it's unfortunate because I think McClanahan is a little bit more impressive as a whole. And even Dylan Cease should be in this conversation, really. I think it's the strikeouts for me that really blow me away. And Verlander doesn't do that anymore. He's not not terrible on it. 127 strikeouts, 130 innings. There's just something a little more flashy when you see McClanahan and Cease go out there and strike out 10, 12, however many guys. Now, the strikeouts have tailed off a little bit for McClanahan recently. He has not been quite as sharp over this last month. I think that Verlander is going to get this award at the end of the day, unless we see Dylan Cease just really dominate down the stretch, which... He has been dominating already. If he keeps this up, keeps the ERA below two with his high strikeout numbers, I think that there's a decent chance there. Now, Verlander does play for a much better team. That might factor into it for some people. I'm not sure how much of a factor it'll really be, but some people will look at that and say Verlander's team is going to the playoffs, where Cease's team could still potentially be going to the playoffs. Right now, currently sitting outside. Uh, Let me check the wild card, actually. They might be in a wild. No, they're three games out of the wild card. They're actually closer in the division, two games out of the division there. So I think that some people may see Verlander as the favorite. A lot of people think him as the favorite, actually. He's just been ridiculous. It's hard to really argue against him. My only argument might be, like I said, the strikeouts. The flashy strikeout numbers for those other guys might lead some voters to vote for them when in other years it might have been Verlander. Now, the Verlander argument can also be the legacy argument where how many more years is Verlander going to do this? It might be five, because who the hell knows with Verlander? He could just be like a Tom Brady type, because this is ridiculous. At his age, to come off a Tommy John surgery, do what he's been able to do. I think he did have, it's like a year and a half removed from Tommy John, or closer to two years. So 
maybe that's why he's been able to perform the way he has. If this was fresh one year off of TJ, probably not going to see the Verlander that we have. Either way, it should be a lot of fun these last few weeks down the stretch. I really don't know what to expect. If I had to throw money, I'd probably say Verlander, but Cecil McClanahan can definitely get themselves into this race. Carlos Carrasco had a pretty okay day here against the Braves. Six innings, four hits, three earned runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. I think he's a little bit undervalued, first off, because he's in that rotation with so many other strong arms, Carlos Carrasco. He had a couple of not-so-great outings, and this was a while back now. We're talking, you know, end of June. There was a few blow-ups there. Since then, he's been very solid. Over the last month, his last 30 innings, he's a 1.48 ERA. He's sitting at 75% rostered on Yahoo. I would definitely go and add Carlos Carrasco where he's available. Most competitive leagues, he's going to be scooped up already. But 75 is definitely not 100. You guys can find him in some places. If he is available on your waiver wire, I would go and try and add him. Let's talk some Vladdy Guerrero, because it honestly hasn't been a lot of Vladdy talk for me at all this season. He's been overall fairly disappointing up until recently, and now he's been fantastic over this last month or so. He hit a home run last night. He drove in three. He also hit a double. Over the last month, he's batting 359, and over the last two weeks, he's batting 404. He's got it up to 286 on the season. And the crazy thing, uh, Scott Chu tweeted this out yesterday, I think. Yeah, I think it was yesterday Scott tweeted it out, that since I think over the last week and a half, two weeks, Vlad leads the majors in stolen bases with four. You got to love it, man. You're not going to see it happen too often, but he had three in a four-game stretch there against Tampa and Detroit. Man, he'll, he finds ways to be valuable, uh, and he loves to steal bases. Like, the Jays don't want him to steal bases, I don't think. I think they, you know, if an injury happens on a stolen base, someone's getting fired. I think that he just wants to find ways to contribute here and there. He loves to run. He loves, you know, he hits a little squibber down the third baseline. He will hustle it out. He loves to run. So I'm not really surprised to see him running a bit more under John Schneider, the new Blue Jays manager, who, as a side note, I think they'll probably – take the interim tag off uh, in the offseason and just make him the manager. It's something that's been coming for a couple of years. I expect it to happen. But Charlie Montoyo did not like running. He did not like letting his players steal bases. We've seen it. Who knows if that's what's influenced Bo Bichette this year, but he's not stealing really at all. I think Bo has seven steals or something ridiculous coming off of like a 25-steal season. So I don't know if it's really connected there, but it's definitely something I've noticed that Vladdy is a little more free on the base paths. For the season, he's got 61 runs, 22 homers, 66 RBIs, those four steals, and a 286 batting average. It's not exactly what you wanted out of your first-round pick, but it's hard to say that he's been disappointing. Uh, at this point right now, he's the 23rd-ranked player in standard 10-category leagues. Just inside the second round for value, he was being picked in the top five, so it, it's very hard to reach that top five range, even if you draft a guy there. I'm not really disappointed with Vladdy. I mean, especially recently, he's turned it on. I, I expect him to finish somewhere inside of that top 10 or 12 by season's end, especially the way that he has been going recently. Like, he's batting for the last month, 360. It's something he's capable of doing for the last few weeks as well. Should be able to squeeze that average over 300. He'll have more than 30 home runs. Who knows? A couple more steals. I see Vladdy as being someone probably in this top 15-ish range. Alec Manoa was going for the Blue Jays yesterday. Six innings, two hits, two earned runs. The only concerning thing really was the four walks and the one hit by a pitch. We know that he works inside. His fastball runs like crazy. So he's going to hit the odd batter probably more often than your usual, your usual starter. Manoa, regardless of that, though, he's got 12 wins, 245 ERA, 
a sub one whip still. He's not going to blow you away with the strikeouts, but he's just dominant. That he's just dominant. He just knows what he's doing. He's confident. You st- I mean, if you have any doubt in Alec Manoa's confidence, just go back and listen to that inning at the All-Star game where he was mic'd up, and he was hilarious. Like, he was – you could tell that nothing could – like, Barry Bonds could have stepped into the plate, and I don't think Manoa would have changed anything. Like, he was just fully – and he didn't even have to be zoned in. That's the thing. I was about to say he was zoned in, but Manoa doesn't really get zoned in. Like – a lot of pitchers, you'll see them on the dugout or in the dugout, just sitting on the bench, you know, sitting on their own pretty much throughout their start. Wrap their arm up and then sit on the bench. Everybody leave them alone. Manoa will be right up on the rail there cheering on the batters and the lineup. Like, he's a different breed, man. To be able to be mic'd up during the All-Star game like that, strike out the side. He hit, did hit a batter, but, like, he's he's very impressive. And the confidence is something that, you know, you're not going to see on StatCast. You're not going to see on fan graphs. He just has it. He has that it factor. And I know a lot of people will say, well, it's not, it's not a real thing. It is a real thing. He's definitely got that, that swagger to be successful. And he has been very successful so far in his big league career. He's one of the best Blue Jay pitchers I've ever seen. Like, he's not, I'm not going to put him in that Roy Halladay or those years that Roger Clemens was in Toronto. He's not in that, not in that I don't know how to, tier, I guess. Uh, tier doesn't even feel strong enough. Like, he's not in that grouping at this point. But he's like... There's not many pitchers in the history of the Blue Jays. I mean, I didn't really see Dave Steeb. Dave Steeb is considered maybe the best with him or Doc. He's definitely like a top five pitcher in our history already, which is insane. But it's true. Talent-wise, no. There's, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not missing anybody here in, in Blue Jays history. Like Halliday, Steeb, Clemens. Uh, that's, that's pretty much like the top elite tier there. And then... I think we're getting to Manoa pretty soon after. Let's talk about Johnny Cueto for a second here, because I'm really not even sure how he's been able to do this, but he's still been successful. Last night, he went eight innings. Johnny Cueto in 2022 pitched eight innings. He only struck out four, and he allowed three earned runs and 11 hits, but eight innings out of Johnny Cueto. He's able to eat them up for you there. Last couple of starts, eight, seven, seven, six, eight, six, six. Like, just quality. Really, it's it's hard to believe. And, yeah, his FIP and XFIP are a lot higher than his ERA. Probably been very lucky. He's not giving you many strikeouts. But, like, he just keeps doing it. And every time when his start comes up, I'll look at the matchup. And the last few times, we're looking at really easy matchups. Like, Texas, Oakland, Cleveland. Minnesota's a bit harder. Detroit, Minnesota, again. Like, he's had a fairly easy go of it. So, his turn in the rotation has been up. And I see that green check mark beside his name. And I'm thinking... Am I going to be talking about Johnny Cueto today in terms of a stream? And yeah, pretty much every time for the last like month or so, it's been a stream. And he hasn't given up more than three earned runs since, where is this, May 28th. Every start since then, it's three earned runs or less. He's not going to give you a ton of strikeouts, but he's going to eat innings, keep the ERA down. And yeah, could this blow up in our faces at any point? Yes. But for right now, Johnny Cueto has pitched himself into roster ability his next start is against the Royals it's another one where you're like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend him again because he's been good it's a weak lineup that got weaker at the deadline I'm absolutely going for him again next week so I don't think you need to go and add him right now I don't know that he'll be such a hot commodity where it's like Johnny Cueto is not gonna be available I think maybe a day before kind of thing you go and add him but for right now just leave him alone and you don't wait on him because I don't think people are really going to be that interested in Johnny Cueto but it's another good matchup He's in the midst of a really nice streak. 
I would absolutely stream him next time out against Kansas. No question. Let's talk a little bit about Alec Bohm, who has become slowly one of my favorite players here in fantasy. Not so much real baseball, but from a fantasy point of view, I've loved what he's done this season. He hit a home run last night, and over the last month, he's batting 411 in 73 at-bats. It's not like, you know, 22 at-bats, 30 at-bats. 73 at-bats, you're getting to a decent little sample size there. He's done really a great job like he's got a little bit more power recently four home runs in the last month a couple in the last week only eight for the season but he's batting just about 300 he's scoring a lot of runs he's been really valuable I picked him up in a couple of 12 team leagues because he was just sitting there and he's been fantastic he's still sitting pretty available I mean 64 percent it's gone up quite a bit recently because of his obviously torrid month he's still available he's still a guy who I talked about this in the past Guys who are just eligible at one position can be a little bit hard to plug in, depending on your format. You know, obviously, if you have like the first base and third base slots and then corner infield and a couple utilities, it gets a little bit easier. If you're just talking about a standard like one third base, one first base, one utility spot, it might be hard for a guy like Alec Bohm in a standard 10 or 12. I think at this point, 12s. He's earned, he's earned his way onto rosters, depending on, you know, different things in your league, how it values pitching versus hitting, blah, blah, blah. I do think that he can be a 12. Now, in 10s, standard scoring, standard formats, I should say, it might be a little hard. Once you start to get into anything with extra CI or extra MI slots where you start to maneuver five outfielders, obviously he's not an outfielder, but those formats tend to have, those are the general kind of settings. Five outfield more corner infield spots, you know, two or three utility, two catcher slots, those kind of leagues, absolutely, Alec Bohm needs to be rostered in all of them. I'm just saying, you know, a 10-teamer with one third base slot, you're, you're probably going to have a better third base option. But there are not many leagues right now where I'd say Alec Bohm should be available. He's been unreal. Over 400 for a month. I mean, you can't really go wrong there, obviously. Let's move into our waiver wire breakdown. We'll talk about the most added and dropped players today. The four most added players today, this isn't so uncommon, but a little bit uncommon. They're all starting pitchers. Kyle Gibson, Edward Cabrera, Corey Kluber, and Mitch Keller. And here are their opponents, Washington, the Cubs, Detroit, and Baltimore. Tends to be how it works. Let's start with Kyle Gibson. He's actually been not too bad this season, despite the 4-6 ERA. The whip is still 1.23. It's a great matchup. Right? Washington is literally, they have nothing going anymore. They have they have nothing. Uh, Nelson Cruz is still there, but getting rid of Soto and Bell when you were already a, a sub a subpar offensive team here doesn't do you any favors. A guy like Kyle Gibson, who is usually more of a fringy kind of guy, becomes like a must-start kind of player against Washington tonight. Probably be very cheap in DFS. I haven't really looked at the DFS stuff much, but I'm sure that he will not cost that much. I would be... Really interested in him in a lot of different formats. Edward Cabrera will be coming off the IL tonight after missing, you know, what is it, two months now with elbow tendonitis. Doesn't give you that warm, fuzzy feeling exactly, but he does get the Cubbies. The Cubbies are definitely one of the better streams of any team in baseball when you're talking about pitchers to play against them. I would be taking a shot on Cabrera here. He's got massive strikeout upside, like ridiculous strikeout upside, really, that we've seen in the minors. I'd be taking a flyer in a lot of formats. There's not so many great streaming options tonight. There are a few fairly decent ones, um, but I think Cabrera is worth it in like anything 12 and deeper. I would be taking taking a chance on him there. Corey Kluber, he's already upwards of 60% rostered, but he's still been added to a few teams over this last 
day or so we've seen him be added ahead of the start here against the Tigers. It hasn't been so great for Corey Kluber as of late. 434 ERA this last month. 4034 the season is not bad, but I don't know. If it was anybody but the Tigers, I wouldn't really be in for it. The fact that it is Detroit, you say, okay, yeah, if he's still available, I'd probably go for it. There are a couple guys who I'm a little bit more interested in, but I think Kluber makes a perfectly fine stream tonight against Detroit. Mitch Keller, he has shown quite a bit of improvement. Over this last month, he's pitched into a 2-6 ERA, a 1.16 whip. Not getting the victories, obviously, because he pitches for the Pirates, but he's shown a lot of improvement over these last... Uh, how many starts really has it been? I'd say like five starts. Over these last five starts, he's been a, a lot better. He gets tonight the Baltimore Orioles. I'm thinking that he's probably okay here. Orioles have obviously been, you know, they've had a different level of energy in them recently. I, I think that there are some better options than Keller as well. I think that Kyle Gibson is a really good option, and we're going to talk in a second here about my favorite option for tonight. Might throw some of you for a bit of a loop, but... We're going to talk about it. I might as well just talk about it right now. Herman Marquez, I'm going to do my weekend streamers, and he would be my Friday streamer here. And before you guys bite my head off, I really like Herman Marquez. If you look at his numbers, he's really been screwed by Coors Field, which is not exactly unique to him. But his away ERA is 4.20. Home ERA is 6.11. He is away from home tonight against Arizona. I think it's a great matchup. And like I said, he's done really well away from home. It's not a great lineup that he's facing here. I'd be all for a Herman Marquez stream. He's probably my favorite. If you can get Kyle Gibson still against Washington, yes. Uh, it's hard to really order these guys. There's a kind of a cluster there. Um, I said earlier that there's not so many streamers. There are. They're just not so exactly top-notch streaming candidates, if that makes sense here. If I had to order them, I'd say Marquez 1, Gibson 2, Edward Cabrera, three, and then the rest after them a little bit here. Uh, Keller and Kluber in that four and five range. Justin Steele has also been added quite a bit ahead of tonight. I'm not as interested in him here. He doesn't have the greatest strikeout numbers, and walks are still a bit of an issue. Yeah, it's the Marlins. It's another fairly weak opponent here, but I just think there are a lot better options than Justin Steele for tonight. Let's move away from starting pitching now. We'll talk about a relief pitcher here at first. So Felix Batista. He's exactly 50% rostered right now. He's still being added up. You should go and get him while you can. There's not many teams that can really say, like, I'm fully confident in my saves for the rest of the season. Uh, I had, in one of my home leagues, I reached on closers. I drafted Jordan Romano and Josh Hader. Those are my two guys. What I did yesterday is I dropped Joanne Duran in exchange for Felix Batista. I didn't feel great about dropping Duran. I just don't think there's going to be really any more save opportunities, maybe one or two. And I've held him this whole year, Duran, so it, it really hurt to actually have to drop him. But I just don't think the role is going to be there over these last couple months where Felix Batista will have that opportunity to save games. 50% rostered. Probably by tomorrow it'll be closer to 60. I would go and add him immediately. Like, I use that example of Hayter and Romano because you'd figure with those two guys I'd feel pretty confident in saves. But, like, no, I, I, I still wanted to go and get Batista just to ensure, you know, as you head into these head-to-head -head playoffs and just in the stretch run of Roto, you need every bit that you can. Uh, Romano and Hayter, sure, like they're going to get me a, a good amount of saves. I reached on uh, Romano a little bit. I drafted Hayter in like the third, fourth round, and then Romano in the seventh or eighth. I wanted saves taken care of. I'm still not satisfied, though. 
I, I'd rather have Felix Batista than just some random fringe streaming guy uh, for the most part. I mean, depending on your league, depending on if you need saves or not, maybe you have four closers and you don't need him and that streamer is more valuable. Uh, that's completely fair. For me, I think Batista should be rostered in every league. Even if it's not your team, he should be rostered by somebody in every league. Let's talk about his teammate here, Jorge Mateo, who has been on a hell of a run recently. So over the last month, 73 at-bats, 13 runs, 4 homers, 10 RBIs, and 6 steals. He's batting 288. He's actually snuck himself into the top 200, well, even actually in the top 175 for the season. I know a lot of people don't like Jorge Mateo. Brad Johnson, who was on this show a couple months back, really does not like Jorge Mateo. I think he might have changed his tune a little bit recently just because you know he's actually providing in other categories. I understand where Brad's coming from in terms of the, you know, he's just providing you steals. But recently, he's been giving you home runs with not a bad batting average. He's jumped up to 49% rostered. Those 26 steals on the season, that's a pretty elite number. I'm just going to pull up the leaderboard right now. There's a chance that he actually leads Major League Baseball. I might be speaking out of my ass. No, it's actually John Birdie, 28 for John Birdie still. Incredible what John Birdie was able to do there. 58 games, 28 steals. Mateo, 26 steals. has taken him 97 games, just to put that in perspective. But... Those those steals are another category like saves. Like they're the saves are the pitching equivalent of of steals for me in terms of fantasy, in terms of you know how hard they are to come by. When you see a player who is doing them consistently on the waiver wire, especially now you're getting extras out of Mateo, you're getting home runs and you're getting good batting average. Like he's one of those guys who I talk about usually once or twice a week. Stream him into your lineup, drop him once he gets cold again, and then you know, no no harm, no foul there. You need, not maybe not you need, but you, I really like to have a streaming spot in all on all of my teams. You know, just one spot where I'm not too attached to it. You add in the hottest player. When he cools off, you send him back to the waiver wire, pick up the next hot thing. I love doing that in all of my leagues. It's harder in weeklies, but in daily changes leagues, it's something that I try and do at least one spot. And you could even argue two, depending on how deep the league is. If you're talking like a 20-team league, yeah, you know, who you, those guys... They become more valuable and less valuable at the same time. There's not as many guys available on the waiver wire, but you're also aiming for a lower level of production in those kind of leagues. So it doesn't take so much to warrant an ad there. Anyway, Jorge Mateo, for me right now, he needs to be on rosters. It's just he, he absolutely has to be. A lot of people adding Madison Bumgarner here uh, against the Rockies. Ugh. I think he's an okay option. I'm not massive on Bumgarner. He's still been able to have pretty decent value this season, 3-8-3 ERA. I'm just, I don't know. Tonight, we've, there actually are more options than I realized here streaming-wise. There's probably five or six all-right options that I would go to before Bumgarner. So unless Gibson and Cabrera and Kluber and Keller and even Steele and, Mar and Marquez, Marquez being my preferred target tonight. If those guys are all taken, then Bumgarner's okay, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jumping to go and add him. Let's move on to some drops here. The number one drop, Jansen Junk. What, oh God, what a name that Jansen Junk has. You kind of feel bad, really. Like, I know it's the family name, but it's like, you figure someone would have changed that at some point to, like, you know, Jank or... I don't even know what you change it to. Jenk, Jenkins, maybe Jenkins. You could have gone for something like that. I don't know. It just feels like it was probably a very tough middle school experience for anybody in this family, for sure. Jansen also had a tough experience last night against Oakland. Gave up six runs in two and a third innings. He was obviously just a streamer. Send him back to the waiver wire. No question there. 
Nick Pavetta did not have a terrible outing. He gave up three runs over five. He still got dropped quite a bit. And if you look at the last month, it's really not pretty. Whip over two, ERA over eight. I mean, for the season now, you wouldn't even have known that he had that elite stretch there. Back up to a 451 ERA. It sucks. He's still able to go out there and give you at least five innings usually every time with okay strikeout numbers. You guys tell me if that's something that's valuable in your league because I think that he's kind of fringy at the moment. He's 44% rostered. I think that there are still some leagues where pitching is very hard to come by. I'm in a couple of leagues where you want pitching, you have to go for like guys who are like less than 20% rostered. It really depends on your format. I think Pavetta is a coin toss, really. I think that there are some leagues where you need to keep that kind of pitching depth on your roster, and there are some leagues, maybe a lot of leagues, where you say, no, Pavetta, I can do a lot better or use the spot, like I mentioned earlier, for streaming. So it's going to be probably, for me, a drop in most cases on Nick Pavetta. Noah Syndergaard has been sent back to a lot of waiver wires today. He allowed 11 hits, four runs in five innings. He did get the victory against the Nationals, but... I guess that doesn't exactly uh, inspire confidence. 11 hits against the Nationals, four runs in five innings. It's it's not great. It's it's certainly not great. Uh, will he improve a little bit there? Hard to say. Uh, he has kind of declined a little bit as the year's gone on. Earlier in the season, the first month or so, I think it was honestly, I don't even know if it really existed, that time where the Angels were ahead of the West. and It might have been honestly a dream, but from what I recall, Noah Syndergaard started off very strong. He started to slowly head downhill, and it hasn't been all so great for him, really. Uh, this season, 402 ERA, 127 whip, it's fine, not giving you really any strikeouts. I think that he is a fringe guy slash streamer. I'm not so sold on Noah Syndergaard, to be honest. When there was talk of the Jays acquiring him, I was thinking, this doesn't really do anything. You know, it's another piece of arm depth, but it's a guy who's, you know, what's he going to do, four or five innings? And then I mean, it's it's valuable for, more valuable in real life than in fantasy, I think, a guy like Noah Syndergaard. I'm, I don't know, I think that 71% roster percentage is is pretty damn high for Syndergaard, and it will start to come down over this next week or two, I would imagine. But people, some people really need that pitching depth, so we will see. Jose Quintana has been sent to a lot of waiver wires today. I was kind of curious because he did pretty well yesterday. Six innings, one run, one hit, seven strikeouts. It's because his next start is at Coors Field. And while I understand it, and it does make sense on some level, he's been pretty damn good over these last few weeks. His last three starts, .48 ERA, .70 whip. The strikeouts are never going to be massive with him, but they've been okay. They haven't been terrible. I think that he can have some back-end value in 12s. Absolute must-roster guy in 15s. And in 12s, I think that, again, it depends on how your league values pitching. I think he can be somewhere between uh, a back-end guy and a streamer. But th- there's, I don't think there's much need to be aggressively dropping him today. Uh, he's done very well recently. It, it, it's kind of a strange move for me here. I think there's probably a lot of more guys who you could be dropping it's weird to see anybody after a good start get get sent back to the waiver wire, but it's a good three starts in a row for him. So it's, it's kind of puzzling. I'll, I'll say that for sure. Paul Blackburn, he's still getting dropped a lot. Yes, absolutely. Get him the hell off your team. Over the last month, 925 ERA. The fact that he was an all-star and Dylan Cease wasn't will probably be one of those facts that just, you know, we look back at 10 years and think, like, you're, you're, you're bullshitting. You know, you look back at – whatever, baseball reference or Wikipedia or however you get your news, your info, and you think, Paul Blackburn was an all-star? Let's see what he did that year. 
Uh, well, right now, 428 ERA. You look at Dylan Cease, it's like just about a sub-2 ERA. People are going to think we were crazy in this time, and we are a little crazy in this time, so maybe that fits. Paul Blackburn, get him the hell out of here. He's done. Chris Morrell, I don't understand this one, really. I mean, I know he's had a cold week or a couple of weeks, really, but someone who can play multiple positions, infield and outfield, give you a bit of power, a bit of speed, hit for a decent average. I wouldn't be moving on from Chris Morrell yet. I, I understand it. Again, he bounces around in the lineup either top or bottom, which I hate that shit when teams do that. Like Tommy Edmund, we've seen it as well. You're either one or you're nine. Well, can you just, you know, put him either one or two, or if not that, then eight or nine. I hate the bouncing around like that. I really do. Regardless, though, I think Morrell's still someone that you should be hanging on to. And just, you know, he batted first yesterday. He's batted fifth or, sorry, batted eighth again today. I was looking at August 5th. I, I hate that, but I still think that he will have value because of what I said. The power speed, the decent average. He's in a bit of a slump, sure, over his last 12, seven for his last 32. Hold out a little bit longer on him. That multi-positional eligibility, it means the world. It really does. Let's talk about some weekend streamers now. I already mentioned Herman Marquez. I like him a lot today against Arizona on the road. Big ballpark, not a great lineup. He does a lot better when he gets out of Coors, so he's definitely someone I'm targeting. There are a few options if you don't get him. We mentioned Edward Cabrera, Mitch Keller, Corey Kluber. There are guys who can have some value today. I would be going for Marquez. When we get into tomorrow, my favorite target is definitely Aaron Ashby against Cincinnati. It's not the greatest streaming weekend for sure. Aaron Ashby is someone who I really like, though, against the Cincinnati lineup that has just lost Brandon Drury, who has been one of the best pieces for them all season. So Aaron Ashby, 27% strikeout rate, 10% walks are a little bit high, sure, but he's allowed a 335 BABIP. He's leaving less than league average batters on base, which is just below 70 right now. Typically, you're looking at 72, 73. Something that can improve a little bit. I don't think it'll drastically change, but it can improve a little bit. His XFIP is 3.19. His ERA is 4.13. He's definitely been a little bit unlucky. We've seen it with the Babbitt, the left on base. Obviously, the XFIP just proves that a little bit further. I really like Ashby here. I don't think there's really anybody else tomorrow who has the kind of strikeout upside that he has facing a pretty damn weak team in the process. So Aaron Ashby is someone I would be keeping my eye on, even maybe adding him today ahead of the start tomorrow because there's really not so many great streaming opportunities there tomorrow. When we look at Sunday, Cutter Crawford for Boston against KC is going to be my choice. Now, again, Sunday is even more thin than Saturday. If you're looking at the options here, there's really nothing. Like, I say nothing, I mean, like, nothing going on. Either these guys are already rostered or they're just complete no-goes. And there's a lot of great matchups. And the matchup for Sunday, I just want to mention this really quickly, Spencer Strider and Jacob deGrom. That should be a hell of a lot of fun, 4 o'clock Eastern time or 4.10 Eastern time. But I think for streaming purposes, Cutter Crawford against KC at 2.10 p.m. Eastern time is probably your best bet. He's coming off of a really good start here against Houston, six innings, seven hits, one run, and six strikeouts. He's currently sitting at 12% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Over his last 28 innings, it's a 2.83 ERA. It's a 1.01 whip. He is a good pitcher. He is a really good pitcher who's flown under the radar. He's eligible. It's a starting pitcher and relief pitcher, so you can sneak him in there wherever you can in that lineup. I think he's the best option, and it's not even particularly close for me on Sunday. Sunday is an absolute shit show in terms of finding streamers here. We have, like I mentioned, we have DeGrom and Strider, and then we have matchups like Hugh Darvish and Tyler Anderson, guys like Giolito, Frankie Montes, Wainwright, uh, Corbin Burns is going, Aaron Nola, 
Javier, Tristan McKenzie, Kevin Gosman, a lot of guys who are already going to be rostered in every single league. And then the opposite side of that equation is guys who you wouldn't stream in a 30-team league. So it's really not a lot going on there. But Cutter Crawford, great stuff, great matchup here. Overall, Marquez, Ashby, and Crawford, those are the guys I'm going to be trying to stream in as many lineups as possible this weekend. Great matchups, great stuff all around. We're looking at today's best matchups. There's honestly a few of them that could be in contention. I think Jose Barrios against his old team and Tyler Molly in his first start for his new team. Great narrative there. I really like that one. Ian Anderson and Taiwan Walker is interesting, but Ian Anderson has been just so dreadful recently. It's really hard to put him in any kind of best pitching matchup conversation here. Tramania and Tony Gonsolin is also a very interesting one on the West Coast here. 10:10 uh, p.m. Eastern time. There's a few of them like that. I think, honestly, the best matchup tonight is going to be Jose Barrios and Tyler Molly, even just narrative-wise, right? You first start for a new team, guy facing his old team. That's great in and of itself. These guys are both very solid pitchers who have both underperformed this season to varying degrees, specifically Barrios. So I'm really interested in that one. Really, there's a lot of games tonight where you could say, yeah, this, pat this pitching matchup is worth, is worth tuning into. The only one that's really not so great, well, there's two that aren't so great. It's the Cincinnati-Milwaukee uh, one, Duggar and Lauer, and then uh, Red Sox and Royals, Winkowski and Grinky. Everything else, you know, you could make an argument to tune in for. So it's very interesting night of baseball here. Obviously, it's a Friday. Fridays are great. You have all the teams playing. Stay up a little bit later, watch the West Coast games, all that good stuff. It should be a lot of fun. Now, I did say I wanted to check in on Otani and Judge here before we let you guys go. And I want to do that from, not that I'm such a wagering expert, I just want to take a look here at the betting lines for, for MVP. So let me pull that one up here. Season specials, American League MVP, Aaron Judge is negative 500. Otani is the next best at plus 375. Once you get past that, it's Jordan Alvarez at plus 5,000. It's, it's a two-horse race here. And I feel stupid for betting on Vladimir Guerrero at the beginning of the season, but I figured they would try and make up some votes from last year where they couldn't really give it to him. This year, uh, man, it's, it's actually really tough. Like, if you look at the books, obviously they think Judge is going to run away with it, but I don't think it's a bad idea to throw a couple bucks here on Shohei Otani. Plus 375, he has still been so impressive. He hit a couple home runs last night. The thing that will hold him back is playing for a dreadful team that he does. And it's absolutely dreadful. The Angels are, are a joke. That will be something that holds him back. If someone's comparing Otani and Judge, Judge's team is like probably the best team in all of baseball. It's, I don't know. You could argue Dodgers. You could argue maybe Padres. You could maybe even make an argument for the Astros. But Judge's Yankees have been ridiculous, and Judge has been a huge reason for that. So if you have Aaron Judge bets from earlier in the year for MVP, kudos, because Right now, you could probably cash out or wait it out and make a bit of money. Shohei Otani, I think, is interesting to hedge there. 375, uh, you're getting pretty solid odds for someone who is, you know, I think just as good of a chance as Judge based on everything that he does. The two-way factor will really come in for some people. The international factor, I think, does play a, a role for some people, either positively or negatively. But I do think that we saw him win it last year. We can see him win it again this year. I wouldn't be going crazy putting hundreds and thousands of dollars on it, but I think a few bucks here on Shohei Otani might just pay off down the line. I put 20 bucks on him at plus 500. We're at plus 375 now, hoping it gets a little bit closer. Maybe I'll cash out as we approach the end of the season, but should be, like I always say, a lot of fun between these two guys. It's been all year, really. I mean, it hasn't been such a narrative up until maybe the last month or so, but 
And Otani did start out maybe a little bit slow. So maybe it wasn't such a narrative in April. But for most of the season, it's been back and forth between these two guys. I think Judge is owed an MVP from 2017 anyway. So it's likely he will get it. But all it takes is, you know, a bit of a poor month from Judge. He hits two home runs. He ends up with 48 or something like that. Doesn't do what we all expect. And Otani just keeps going at his same pace. I think that would be enough for Shohei to win the MVP. Guys, that will do it for this week. I can't believe it's over. This trade deadline week felt really crazy. A lot of movement. Obviously, Juan Soto, Josh Hader, things like that really shake up the game of baseball. I hope you guys were there for our coverage of the trade deadline. If you missed it, go check it out on YouTube at Sports Ethos. And also, if you're listening to this, just scroll down. You can listen to all those podcasts in one-hour chunks. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I think it was 15 guests in total, so go ahead, check those out. I'd really appreciate you guys leaving a five-star review, thumbs up on the podcast, and go ahead and follow me over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Links to these podcasts go out there every single weekday. I usually do some Twitter threads every single night. I've taken a couple of nights off here just trying to recharge the batteries, but those will be coming back. And, of course, my articles, which another one will be coming out this weekend. I'm not sure of the direction yet. We're going to sit down tomorrow morning, and we will figure it out. But all of my fantasy baseball content over on Twitter, go check it out. Go check out Sports Ethos and Ethos Fantasy BB. We got a lot of stuff in the works there. Sub to the YouTube, download, do all that good stuff, show your support, and we will see you again on Monday. Cheers, everybody. Best of luck this weekend. See ya. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.